Welcome to the Good Music Podcast, a show where we discuss artists, songs, and talk about why we love them. New episodes every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and become a patron to gain access to exclusive content. And now, on with the show. episode of the good music podcast i'm lucas and i'm grant and if you're joining us for the very first time for this episode thank you thank you for spending your time with us if you like what you hear like subscribe leave a review leave a rating help the algorithms to bring our podcast to more people and bring more good music to people all around the world we do have listeners all around the world and we thank every single one of you if you want to get in touch with us in touch with the podcast other good music appreciators at good music podcast on facebook and instagram is where you want to go there is information and updates about upcoming episodes and some other interesting things we also if you want to recommend um artists which we get more into that in a second if you want to recommend your favorite artist that's where you want to do it, and we just might get around to that. Um, if you really love the podcast or you really love good music um, and you want to support us, uh, down in the link or down in the description, there is a link to a Patreon page. That's our Patreon page um, for just a few bucks a month. And we really appreciate all of our patrons, but for a few bucks a month, um, you get early access and exclusive access to special patron exclusive content including our Bad Music podcast, and in two Bad Music episodes. So this one, the following Bad Music episode, is our big end-of-year tournament. There is 40 really terrible songs that we're going to figure out which is the worst. So if that sounds like something that is uh, piquing your interest, then you are definitely going to want to listen into that. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have Ethan back, and we've really Ethan! been playing this thing. We've been plugging this thing for a long time now. I mean, I guess you guys can tell that we're a little we're a little excited about that. Um, Ethan's going to be back for our, for our normal episode next week. Oh, that's as well. true. That's true. I forgot about that because we're doing so, the the year in review. Just to, just to clarify, so normally the last episode of the month is our music history, but um, a little tradition that I'm that I'm starting is the last episode of the year is we're going to look at the history of the year. T- 2021 so we're gonna look each year at that year of music pick six songs from all six different people varying genres and just look and see what was 2021 like musically and also what were what were our favorite podcast moments of the year so ethan's gonna be back with us for that it's i'm really excited about it and then of course we're gonna have our big uh end of the year worst song bracket tournament that's gonna be really fun so um, I think probably eventually we might put that maybe on like YouTube or something, but maybe. we're definitely gonna, we're gonna have it on Patreon first for a little while. Right. Right. So but if you want to, if you want to get in on that, Patreon is the place. Patreon yes. Is the place. Um, we understand that if all you can do is just listen to the podcast, then we really do appreciate that because we understand 
You have a choice to make. You can choose to listen to anything else, and you choose to listen to us. Speaking of choices, I mentioned earlier we have our uh, listener-requested episodes every once in a while. This happens to be the week of the month where we have a listener-requested episode. We make sure to yes. at least one of those every month. And this was one of you guys' requests. Who are we talking about? Lucas. We're talking about uh, Stevie Ray Vaughn. SRV. Yes, I would say. I would say right now. Yes, I'd say right now there is no artist that has been more recommended to us than Stevie Ray Vaughn. Wow. I've I've probably gotten like four different um, requests saying, "Hey, can you do Stevie?" So this is this is one that. I've 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 been meaning to do, been waiting for the right time, and I'm just like, okay, I think I think now is the time to do this. So, um, this was this request was up there along with Kiss and Jimi Hendrix. Um, those I think those were those have been like our top three biggest ones that like we've gotten from multiple people. ZZ Top was 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 up there as well. Um, mm. So I'm not going to single out one particular person. Um, but we've we've gotten we've gotten multiple from multiple different people saying, "Hey, can you do a Stevie Ray Vaughan?" So this is for you all know who you are that asked. So this is for all you guys. Nice. This is also going to be our first true blues episode. True blues. Yeah, like just pure pure blues, not like blues inflected rock or. Um, stuff that has blues influence mixed in with it but rather like this is this is not rock and roll this is this is blues music and this is the first time that we've really gotten to talk about that so this is also our first step into a brand new genre so i always like to have episodes like that as well oh yeah where we're we're continuing to get to to overlooked genres and man I'll I'll just say that blues is something that I never really listened to. It's it's kind of one of those foreign genres to me. I because I was not a guitar player, I was like I didn't I didn't see the appeal of the blues. I feel like it is it is one of those things that if you're a guitar player, the blues I feel like kind of appeals to you more because it is very much a guitar dominated genre. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would say that it's like that's like the one instrument you uh, can't not have. Ooh, you, you can, you can have figure to, it out with piano. Yeah, but it's like it just doesn't it doesn't wouldn't, feel the same. Wouldn't be the same. Yeah, no. And I mean, it it goes without saying that Stevie Ray Vaughan is the guitarist of the groups he's in, including his own solo work. I don't know what mm-hmm. group he's been in, but I'm sure he's been in multiple. He just seems like yeah. such a big name. Yeah. So let's go ahead and jump into our first thoughts. Um, tell me, Grant, what you know about Stevie Ray Vaughan. Um, wasn't there a uh, Austin City Limits with him on there or something like that? I'm. I'm bet there's been multiple because that was that was his hometown, pretty much. Okay, so that makes sense because I remember there being a, uh, and I'm sure everybody who's listening to this episode knows what I'm talking about. Um, there's there's that minute, minute and a half video or something. He's playing Pride and Joy, and then in the middle of the solo, like a string breaks, and he just keeps going. 
Mm-hmm. And then the roadie comes out, which the unnamed hero, right? People yeah. Give, he... People give him all the all the credit for like the the quick change of the guitar because he's got a broken guitar. Takes it off, is singing the verse, right? Puts it back on, wireless in, puts the strap on, all that stuff, and then right when it's time to play the lick, his his guitar's right in front of him. I mean, what a, what a great like crew that he has. Oh yeah, him. he and had a very the composure as well, right? Yeah, he had a very close-knit group around him. That's good. That's, that's good to hear. I mean, so obviously I know about that. I know the song Pride and Joy. Um, there was one of these songs on here that I knew, but I didn't know that I knew it, which is weird. Um, but, I mean, that happened a lot with Queen. So, um, and I, like... I don't. I don't know what I know about Stevie Ray Vaughan, other than the thirteen guitar strings. Thirteen guitar strings. Whoa, 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 whoa. Size thirteen guitar strings with the extra strings in the back. But yep. I. I mean, he's a blues player. I know some of the songs. He's a big name. A lot of people really respect him. But my catalog for Stevie Ray Vaughan is very limited. I got a lot of Stevie Ray Vaughan praise from a lot of. Um, friends in the boy scouts you know if you are in the boy scouts you may have friends in the boy scouts who are big into steve ray vaughn we're talking about him all the time i never actually listened to him i mean we would carpool to the to the um campsites and whatever and on the way they'd be talking about steve ray vaughn no one would ever play steve ray vaughn except for pride and joy we always listened to acdc which you know i was okay with that or or some other classic rock but so, I mean, obviously, people really respect this guy. Like, I know his name. I know some of his songs. It's like, he's a big deal. He's a monolith. And so I think talking about him is, is a good, important thing to do. And me getting educated on what the, what the big hullabaloo is um, is going to be a good step in my musical journey. I, as far as blues go... I've always been into the philosophy of blues, the improvisation, um, and just like that rolling chord progression. You just figure things out as you go. That's that's very fun to me. That's how I learned how to improvise was through the blues. But I didn't learn through blues songs. I just learned through playing with other musicians and improvising. Um, so blues, as far as like, the philosophy, I think I have somewhat of a grasp. The catalog, I have nothing. So I have to say that I'm at a five. So anyway, that's a very weird first thought. But that's a first thought nonetheless. Hey, that's, that's, that's what they're, they're for, is to kind of just show... So what, what do we know going into this episode? Yes. So um, I actually have a pretty... Um, I'm pretty familiar with Stevie Ray Vaughan. And when I say that, I mean, there's one album in particular, and it's the album that we're going to be focusing on tonight. Because if you notice, Grant, all these songs are from the same album. Yes. That we're going we're gonna to be focusing on Texas Flood uh, tonight. Mm-hmm. But that's not to say that he only has Texas Flood. But also, sometimes I just like to do things a little bit differently not do like a a big career overview or even like a time period 
go, hey, here's this album. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, this album is also just is that I mean you could you could talk about just about every song and 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 find some really cool stuff. I am noticing a lot of his uh, biggest songs being from this one. Mm-hmm. It, so. I I am very comfortable in saying that it is his best album. And probably, I would say, by a long shot. Wow. But that's not to say that his other albums are bad. His discography is actually very strong. It's just Texas Flood kind of stands in a league of its own. It's one of those all-time greats. I'd say it's probably one of the top ten greatest guitar albums of all time. Ooh. You are talking to a guitar player. And I mean, you've you've heard these songs. I yeah. Mean, on the guitar side, this is this is one of the most impressive uh, feats of guitar that I have ever listened to. It's it's got a weird like way about it that it's not crazy techniques. It's not these weird neoclassical things. It's like his his hand is connected to his brain, is connected to his heart, is connected to you know. Like everything is just one perfect expression. I don't know. It's yeah. like he can, he can think of exactly how he wants to end a phrase before he even starts it. Uh-huh. And it just flows from his hands perfectly. I mean, that's that is that is true talent and inspiration. Yes. It doesn't sound rehearsed. It sounds totally natural, and it's just crazy. From you know, somebody who has listened to rehearsed metal solo after rehearsed metal solo, you know, that it's just, this is not, this is not, this. maybe it is rehearsed, but it's just not the same feeling. And it's really uh, kind of eye-opening. So, yeah. But we'll, we'll, we'll dive deeper into that, but. Oh, yeah. Um, that's all to say that uh, Texas Flood I am very, very familiar with. It's an album that I've listened to many, many times. It's, I would say it's, at this point, it's the only blues record that I have any real sentimental attachment to. Um, and that's something that after doing all the research for this, it's something that I want to change. I want to start getting more into blues and covering more blues artists uh, on the podcast. Hmm. Okay. So... Um, I might even put a, a put a poll on Instagram and ask what uh, get some get an a listener recommendation for which which person we should do next, and that can we can make that our fan picked by having a an actual poll on Instagram where you guys vote. Ooh, that could be fun. Yeah, that could be that could be fun it's, to uh, bring along and do a real thing. Yeah, so. Keep up, keep on the lookout for that if it hasn't already happened. Um, and so yeah, and you're gonna laugh because I, I do this all the time, but I have Rock Band to thank for introducing laugh. me to Texas Flood <laughs> because you can download that entire album onto the game. Oh, that's actually kind of cool. They they do that sometimes, like they 
you can do all of moving pictures. You can do all of Peace Cells and Rest in Peace, which are diabolical records to try and play. <laughs> yeah. They have all of British Steel and Screaming for Vengeance. They have uh, they have all of the Clashes, London Calling. They have um, oh, what else do they have? I think they've got two Bob Marley albums on there, which I don't really care for that. Um, but they also have Texas Flood, and that was that was my introduction to it. So I knew I knew Pride and Joy first that cause, because of uh, because of Guitar Hero three. I know it. I can't I can't explain enough how much those games have introduced me to so many uh, different bands and artists. But that's kind of when I became aware of who Stevie Ray Vaughan was and that he was a he was a great guitar player. Mm-hmm. And so. Uh, after that, that's when I started to notice him in the conversations. Like, you know, I'm also kind of a list freak. I love to like Google like top ten this, top ten that. Mm-hmm. Um, the click, I'm I'm a fool for the clickbait articles. Ah, so that explains your obsession with Loudwire. I don't have an obsession with Loudwire. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> I I I don't like them near as much as I used to. Mainly because when I first got on the Loudwire, they were talking about all these bands that I had never heard of before, and it, it was a great education. Now I can look at Loudwire and go, they're wrong about that. They're wrong about this. Okay, I've never heard of this before. Let me list it up. I'll take them on that. It also helps me to at least be up to date with what's happening in the rock and metal world. It's fair. It's 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 a great place to kind of see when are tours being announced, what albums are coming out. Um, Oh, here's a this article. Oh, I'm researching them this week. This will be perfect to add to my research. Stuff like that. Oh gosh, I still haven't even said my number. I'm really (laughs) going off the rails here. So, I I knew who Stevie Ray Vaughan was. I understood that he is one of the greatest guitar players of all time. But it was when I downloaded that album, I would say probably two years ago mm. on a rock band that I felt like I finally started to understand how good he was because all of those songs are so difficult to play. So, so difficult. Um, for those of you that play the game and understand like, you know, when I say like three stars, four stars, five stars, there's a couple of songs on that album. I consider myself to be pretty good at the game. Like I can play most songs on expert, except for like the stupid dragon force stuff. Yeah. But I mean, is that even really fair to begin with? Uh, so like when I say that there's a couple of songs on that record that I cannot five star, I do not say that lightly. <laughs> So that was when I was just like, okay, I get it. And that's when I fell in love with this record and started listening to it outside of the, of the game and was just like, man. But I never got into the other albums. It was just my focus was solely on Texas Flood. And I, and I also understood the fact that it was an iconic, huge record. And so all that to add up that I would say that I was a strong six. I knew Texas Flood. I loved it. I understand 
great, that he's important, that he's one of the all-time best, but I didn't know much besides that. So, long story short, I'm a six. Texas Flood is awesome. We're going to talk about it. Wow. The the 20-minute first thoughts strikes again. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, so, boy. Stevie Ray Vaughan. Also, we need to uh, clarify that this is Stevie Ray Vaughan and Double Trouble. And so, okay, so he is not part of Double Trouble. Yes and no. Okay. It's kind of a, that's kind of a loaded question. Okay. Uh-oh. <laughs> okay. So, um, so Double Trouble, they're, they're pretty much a three-piece. Mm-hmm. At least they started off that way. Later on down the road, they added some people here and there where they always stayed double trouble and it's and double trouble has always been the same guys at least as far as their professional recording career goes double trouble even existed like way before they recorded that first record but um your main uh double trouble guys are drummer chris layton and bassist tommy shannon so when you listen to texas flood there's only three guys playing oh wow and the only thing that was overdubbed on that album was the vocals. Oh, so it was like uh, everything played live. Yes. And then Stevie Ray Vaughan comes back later, records vocals over it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah, it was recorded live in the room. And, and they didn't record the vocals afterward because he thought it would be easier. Like they actually did record vocals in there and, and something got messed with me. It's like, oh, okay, I need to come in later and redo that. Mm. Okay. So, um, so yes, it's, it's, it is technically Stevie Ray Vaughan and double trouble. So we're not, we're not going to leave those guys out, but I mean, let's be real. The, the main focus of this group was always Stevie. He was the star. He was the leader. He was the, the, the icon. He was the reason that band even existed. Yeah. So as, as the name of that record suggests, he is Texas born. He's a Texas boy, uh, was born in Dallas, moved to Austin when he started to become a serious musician. And, uh, he actually has a pretty famous older brother blues guitarist named Jimmy Vaughn that for a, for a very long time was more popular than his little brother. The way that most people referred to Stevie was Jimmy's little brother. And a lot of the, a lot of the opportunities he got was on the back of, Oh, he's, he's Jimmy's brother. He must be good. Wow. So then why did he, maybe this is also a loaded question. But why did he surpass his uh, older brother? Was that was it like just based off of better songwriting, like better playing, or did Jimmy like go off to do something else? Well, there's there's a lot of facets to that. Okay. Um, Jimmy was an incredible blues player, but he never really crafted a style that was unique. He was a very great traditional blues player where Stevie, the way he played is he was blues, but he also played in a way that really nobody else had played before. That is so weird. To and think so, about. yeah. 
Um, because the thing about Stevie was that he played blues, but with a rock and roll energy. Because he was as equally influenced, like his two top influences were uh, uh, Arnold King, who is one of the one of the great blues players of all time, and Jimi Hendrix. Those were his two main influences, and so he melded those together. Where he was a blues player first, mm-hmm. but. He had enough rock and roll love and sensibility and influence to be able to blend that in. He was a blues player with some rock influence. And because of that, he did get ostracized by a lot of the rigid blue pure, blues purists. Uh, he, when, because of the fact that he would do Jimi Hendrix covers and that he didn't dress like a normal blues player would dress – and that he played way louder than other blues players and played with a lot more um, intensity and, and muscle that, that, that rubbed people that are like, you, you know those people. Blues is one of those genres that people get very stuffy that it has to be played a very specific way. Yeah, I know that. And so... Um, and so those kinds of people, they accepted Jimmy because Jimmy stayed in that vein, and he was among the best at it, from what I've learned. That there was there were moments in the late 60s, early 70s, where he was considered the best blues player in Texas. Wow. When he was still, like, 17 years old. Wow. It was a, it was a very long shadow that he cast upon Stevie. And so it kind of ended up being a surprise that Stevie ended up in the large scheme of things far eclipsing his brother, where his brother is mainly just known as a, a, a great player in the blues realm. Stevie is like, he gets put in the conversation of greatest guitarist of all time, period, regardless of genre. Yeah, that's true. Wow. So... Um, so the fact that Stevie was willing to experiment a bit more and to create something that was, um, entirely unique in the blues realm, um, also the fact that he was able to get on a major label deal, which his brother was never able to get, oh, and just straight up the opportunities that he had to get very massive exposure, he he got the luckier break, but it was a very very long road. It's one of the longest roads I've ever seen to stardom. So so, okay. So then let's talk about that. I was just about to ask a question about that. Because he was, gosh, he was probably he was probably early thirties before he made his first record. What what is the age difference between him and Jimmy? Uh, I want to say like. Three or four years. Jimmy is the older brother. Okay, so kind of significant. Yeah. Um. So Stevie started professionally playing when he was like fifteen, sixteen years old. Okay. And just constantly was going around. He could never stay in a band for a very long amount of time. But even when he was like a teenager, still. 
he was playing with some of the greatest players of all time. Like he was like only 19 years old, I think when he first played with Albert King and again, like Albert King, I really understood the significance of who he was after researching Stevie, which I'm sure that he and other blues peers would be very proud that, uh, that I'm that I'm developing a, an appreciation for the great blues players. Albert King was so impressed with him that whenever they were doing a guitar battle, he had to hide his fretboard from Stevie because he thought that Stevie was copying his licks. He was he was able to capture his style so perfectly. Oh wow! I guess and... that goes right back with what I was talking about earlier that he can like connect the the mind and the heart and the hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So, and he he's he played with Billy Gibbons right when ZZ Top had formed, and uh, like he was barely in his twenties, and all of the all-time great blues players like Buddy Guy and BB King were all like, "This guy is legit." They they all would say, "It's the he's the best white guy I've ever heard play the blues." <laughs> yeah. And. Uh, they were they were all just like you know he he understands what the blues are where they come from and you have to know that it's not just about how good you are at the guitar there's there's a certain ethos that you have to capture if you're going to play the blues correctly and and he had it yeah and so and so he he shopped around with lots of different bands, was in and out, um, partly because he he had a he developed a pretty bad drug problem early on. Um, cocaine was his drug of choice. Oh, and okay. that now he, in the eighties he very famously sobered up. Okay. But that all the way up through um, the 70s and into the 80s when he made his first couple records, he was in pretty bad shape, drug-wise. But he also, you know, even by the 70s, blues was falling out of style. Like, the the 60s was kind of the last time that the blues was in the mainstream, mainly because of the British blues. You know, you think of that's that's where Clapton came from, and um, and all those all those big Jeff Beck, even Led Zeppelin. You know that that whole existed because they started off with the blues, mm-hmm. Rolling Stones. But then once you get into the seventies, it became very unpopular to be a blues musician, and so most of them, like if you weren't already one of like the blues titans like muddy waters and t-bone walker and all those guys then you know you weren't gonna become famous and big time by being a true blues artist mm-hmm. yeah, you had to be you had to be a rock and roll artist that had blues, uh that had blues influence but it had to be fairly minimal just because it just it just wasn't popular anymore. Yeah. And so Stevie found himself constantly in lots of bands where he was expected to play 
rock and roll or R and B. And he was just like, no, I want to play the blues. And he would constantly push and push and go, let's, let's play the blues. Let's play the blues. And they're like, no, Stevie, we're not going to get big playing the blues. And they would usually just go, okay, you can play like one blues song this set. And so he would extend his solo for like 20 minutes. (laughs) But everybody that saw him was just like, holy crap, this guy is incredible. The best blues player we've ever heard. It's just that no record deal was going to come their way whenever they're going to try and be a blues artist. And he would never stick around with the band long enough to be able to, to, to do that because he was, he could never pretend to be interested in a genre because it was going to make him famous. He was just like, if I, if I don't love it, I can't just play it for the sake of the money or the fame. Yeah, that's and so that was that was why he just he never abandoned the blues. It was what he loved and it's what he wanted to do. And so he was like, I'm gonna stick with this and eventually I will become famous. And so he just he had to take a very long road to get there. And so the final circumstances of his rise to fame are really fascinating and amazing. Because it was it was an incredible sequence of right place, right time. So his first record didn't come out till eighty, which when you think about that, that's like one of the most unlikely times for a blues musician to become a megastar. Yeah, I mean, think about what's happening then, right? We got the Judas Priest is at their height, right? We're we're getting the advent of the real heavy metal, heavy thrash stuff is coming. But then also. Well, also look at the mainstream. Like you're, you've got new wave and everything is synth, synth pop, and yeah, to have something that is super roots, back to basics blues, becoming huge. It's, uh, you know, it was it was quite an amazing thing. Yeah. So, um, I mean. So it started off with just them continuing to grind the the club scene. They did that for the better part of 10 years. The the tenacity of Stevie Ray is just incredible. He was someone that never ever gave up. He he no matter how long it took. And it's it's pretty admirable. It's one of the it's one of the hardest grinds that I've ever come across in doing research for an artist. Of just like he could never get the big break, yet he kept going. So finally, um, one of his club dates was attended by Jerry Wexler, which I don't know if you can pull back really into the distant past, but he was pretty much the man behind making Aretha Franklin famous. Okay. And was one of the big time guys at Atlantic. He worked with Ray Charles and Led Zeppelin and, you know, a lot, some of the biggest artists of all time. Right. Right. He, he saw Stevie play and was just like, Oh my gosh, we have to get this guy. And so he sent a tape, over to Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger heard wow. it, fell in love with it, and was just like, hey, we, I want you guys to come out to the Montreux Jazz Festival. 
because jazz also had some blues in it. Um, the, the jazz festival had some blues players in it. So they go there and play. It was the first time that they'd ever been out of the country. Really even one of the few times they'd ever been out of the state of Texas. And they're playing to a jazz festival and they find out when they get there that pretty much most of the people are playing light acoustic sets and they come in and just, I mean, just amps cranked all the way up, just completely blast the audience. And they said that most of the crowd was booing them. <laughs> and so they were just like, oh, we played great. They just didn't get it, but they're kind of sulking in their dressing room. And a guy knocks on the door and said, Hey, uh, there's someone that wants to talk to you, Stevie. And he said, who is it? Uh, David Bowie. Oh my goodness. So David Bowie says, you're the most incredible blues guitar player I've ever heard. I'm making a new record. Do you want to play on it? And Steve was just like, uh, yeah. And that record ends up becoming Let's Dance, which is Bowie's biggest record. It was, uh, it was an international number one smash all over the planet. And uh, he plays all over. And that was kind of like his first big exposure. Everyone started listening to going, who is this? Who is this guy? He's we've never heard him before. He's never played on anything. Like he just came out of nowhere. Eric Clapton said when he first heard Bowie's "Let's Dance," he was just like, "I have only in three times in my life ever heard a guitar player and go, oh my god, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard." Jimi Hendrix, Dwayne Allman, and Stevie Ray Vaughan. That is so. That is just so yeah. unlikely. For Clapton to say that, that's that's pretty big praise. Yeah. So um, so Stevie's profile gets immediately raised big time. Yeah. Uh, so the plan is, is that he's going to go on tour with David Bowie and that him and Double Trouble are going to be the opening act. So they're just like, oh, this is great. This is this is what we need. This is going to be our big chance. Oh, I also forgot the other part of the story in Montreux that after they meet with David Bowie, because they're so mad about how things went at the jazz festival, they just decide to go to a random club in Switzerland and just do like a like an after hours blues set. <laughs> and Jackson Brown and most of his band find out about it and go watch it and go, wow, these, these guys are incredible. Stevie is one of the best guitar players we've ever heard. So Jackson Brown says, hey, do you guys have a record? And they're like, no. And he says, well, I've got a studio at my home in L.A. You can have it for free for three days to go cut something. Nice. And so they're like, and so they're like okay, cool. So they go to L.A., they, they have three days, and that's when they make Texas Flood. Oh, no way. They recorded that album in three days, and they did not intend to release that. They made it thinking it was going to be a, just a high-quality demo. No flipping way. Yep. So, And that's right before Stevie goes and records with Bowie. So while he's recording with Bowie the other two members of Double Trouble are putting the finishing touches on the mix for what would be Texas Flood. 
And they're like, cool, we've got a great thing to shop to uh, these other record labels. So they, and they, they end did, up you. They didn't write it in three days, though. No, that. Oh, okay. No, that whole record had been part of their live set for like six or seven years up to that okay. point. But still, they played those songs so well that they made that whole album in three days. Yeah. I mean, even still, right? In Jackson Brown's home studio. <laughs> Man, I we tried to do the uh, covers last summer once a week, and it did not sound near this good. And we had to do well, so many takes. Yeah, I mean, we're also not Stevie Ray Vaughan. We're that's what that's my point. That's my point. We're not Stevie Ray Vaughan and Double Trouble. So anyway, that's just impressive. Yeah. So, um, so he, uh, so he does the thing with, but then immediately he starts to get very, very dissatisfied with the arrangement. Stevie is a rebel through and through. He does not like being told what to do. He doesn't like being told, you know, when we do press conferences, you're not allowed to talk about this. He wasn't allowed to talk about his own record that was coming out or anything about Double Trouble. He was only allowed to talk about what he was doing with Bowie. Um, he didn't like being told, we're going to have rehearsal here. You've got you've to be here and here and here. And he was just like, no, I don't want to do that. And then he started to realize later on as um, as time was going on that the deal for Double Trouble to be the opening act was actually not going to happen. Ooh. That that plan fell through. And when he found out about that, he realized then that for the better part of a year, he was going to be out promoting pretty much just himself and the other two members of Double Trouble were going to be sitting around waiting for him to get back, which is going to put them out of money, is going to completely kill the momentum that they had of their own band. And so he tells David Bowie, sorry, but I quit. Wow. Before the tour starts. Quitting on David Bowie. I know. And that became the big story and that and the way that their manager decided, you know what? We can, we can take advantage of this. Big unknown guitar player says F you to David Bowie in order to pursue his own band. And it kind of created enough controversy where people were just like, who is this guy? Who would have the balls to tell David Bowie, no, I'm not going to tour with you? That's what I'm thinking. Like, and it, and it intrigued press. It was good press. It intrigued people to go, okay, now we need to know who this guy is. And so, um, so through that whole process, because of the fact that his playing on Let's Dance got Bowie's label excited, they were just like, hey, yeah, sure, we'll go ahead and sign your band. And so their manager was just like, because they, they were thinking, we'll go ahead and go into the studio and properly record this record. And they were like, no, this demo can be released as it is. And so they're like, okay. So that's when Texas Flood was released. Okay. And uh, and it turned out to be a huge hit. I mean, obviously, because here we are pulling all six of our songs from it. 
Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, I mean, just what an incredible series of events. Yeah. All of, all of those things had to work together in that order and for him to get his big break. He had to have gotten a mantra. He had to have not only gotten in touch with David Bowie, but be at that club for Jackson Brown to see them so he could have the opportunity to record Texas Flood. Then have the opportunity with Bowie making Let's Dance to get everyone in the larger public's attention so that way when Texas Flood came out, he was already kind of a hot topic people were talking about. He wasn't a complete unknown. Yeah. So just an, a really incredible after, after so many years toiling in obscurity to finally have that moment to, to break out and go, here I am, here's the blues, you know, you're going to respect this in a way. Yeah. 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 Wow. This is this is the stuff that you come to the Good Music Podcast for. It's a pretty wild, incredible story. The wild story. I love like that. I love finding these stories. Yeah. Man. So, um, obviously, a lot happens after that. But first off, I didn't get time to get to that point because I again I did not expect to have that much story just leading up to the first record yeah and also like again i just i want to i want to kind of do things a little bit different this episode and just focus on a particular moment a particular great all-time great genius moment in music so we're really getting the real the real introduction the way everybody else would have gotten it yeah and i mean honestly just looking at texas flood you're gonna get a proper introduction to Stevie Ray Vaughan. Hmm. Future listening. Hmm. Just saying. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, for those that don't know, unfortunately, Stevie did pass away in 1990 in a helicopter crash. Oh. That's not good. So, so he is. he is not with us anymore. He... Even though he he really had like a 25-year career, only barely 10 of it was uh, experienced by the world at large. Wait, so how old was he when that happened? I think he was uh, – I think he was like 38 or 35. Wow, you – yeah, 35. Well, almost 36. Born in 54. Okay, so you looked it up. I uh, I Wikipedia it real fast. I asked okay, questions yeah. and, and then answered it myself. I knew it was somewhere in his mid to late thirties. I didn't think he was quite forty yet. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, st- still young guy, and a and a real shame. Wow. But you know, he is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame where he should be. And right. yeah, just truly one of the greatest guitar players of all time. And someone that reinvigorated the blues, I would say in a way that barely anyone else had before or since. Definitely, I would say, like I would maybe say the the closest thing that's 
happened since then would be maybe John Mayer. And I don't like John Mayer particularly, but that's mainly just because I don't like his voice. Yeah, that's kind of why I... Uh... And I and I really hate his mainstream stuff, but I do think that he is a great blues player. And I think that if he were only a blues player and not playing the mainstream game, that he I would respect him a lot more. But I would say that he's probably the only other modern blues player to have any kind of influence or or impact since Stevie Ray. Okay. okay. And all the other big time blues guys either were in rock and roll groups or were part yeah. of that initial blues movement. So he really stands almost on an island of I mean I guess Joe Bonamassa, he's in a, he's another modern blues guy that's kind of gotten big but again he never has gotten super big kind of those and blues purists but in the blues world he's a pretty big deal and of Dude. course you know there's probably others that just because i i'm not as schooled in blues music that i might be missing but i also feel like i i know enough about the general history of music that I feel like I would know if there were other big time blues guys that have crossed over into mainstream to where like even normal guitar people are just like, Oh yeah, I know who that is. And I understand that he's amazing. So like putting that reinvigoration into perspective, when would you have said that first blues movement ended? Man. I mean, so the first blues movement was, was mainly in the 40s and 50s oh wow okay but so... then but then you also have the british blues movement in the 60s like i like i was saying earlier with clapton and zeppelin and yardbirds stones i mean that was that was what the rolling stone started off was as a blues band um and that's what that's what cream was and you know, there was there was a legitimate blues scene, but ma the majority of it was coming from England. And it was because they were inspired by all these 40s and 50s guys. And you, you can even go back to, like, the 30s and the 20s even. Because, um, I mean, you know, jazz really comes from the blues. And, and you know, the whole R&B is rhythm and blues. So you have you know, soul and funk and all that comes from the blues as well. So the blues is really the bedrock of all American music. Yeah, that's true. So, but there was, there was a period specifically in the forties and fifties where most of your Titans, the, the guys that you consider to be the all time greatest, like BB King and Albert King and Buddy Guy and Freddie King. There were, there were, the three kings. I, I learned about those guys. Wow. Um, and Howlin' Wolf, Muddy Waters, T-Bone Walker, all those guys. Fats Domino. Those were the guys that were like, okay, the Bo Diddley. I'm just going to continue to think of them. Uh, those were the those were the guys that are considered like the Godfathers and the real like original greats. 
And I'm pretty sure that of all those guys, I think Buddy Guy is the only one that's still alive today. And I'm not 100% sure that he's alive. I know that he was alive recently. But like, uh, and and BB King, he had passed away pretty recently, like mm-hmm. like three or like three or four years ago. So you know that that generation is pretty much gone, and they they kind of grew. They lost a lot of their big time, uh, kind of their their big moment by the seventies. You know, they had a, they they were at least big enough among like the blues crowd to still command respect, but, you know, they weren't drawing in the, the public audience at that point anymore. Hmm. Well, reinvigoration, I think, is the right word then. Yeah, so, I mean, because from what I was learning, like, once you get to the 80s, the, the, the general public was very much unaware that the blues even existed. Mm-hmm. Because that generation didn't grow up with it. You you had you had the entire decade of the seventies to kind of like make people forget that the blues was a thing. <laughs> because the sixties was the last time that the blues was in the mainstream. So, so he really he really uh, sounded new by doing something very uh, old. Yes, there was a lot of people going, I've never heard anyone play like this before. What is this? It's a new style of rock and roll. <laughs> and they're like, no, it's, it's, just, it's just so old that you didn't really realize it. Mm-hmm. And so there was an entire new generation that was exposed to the blues because of Stevie Ray. And so you gotta you gotta give him credit for that. That's that was a very significant thing that he did. Yeah. And the fact that he was able to have enough modern spin on it, the fact that he did incorporate a good amount of rock and roll charisma into it, but not so much that it didn't wasn't the blues anymore. Hmm. Which was a fine line to toe. Yeah, well, I mean, when you're in a when you're in a genre of purists, that's kind of what you gotta deal mm-hmm. with. But I mean, the rebel attitude—you know—he can kind of do whatever he wants. Yeah, and then just good God, his playing. He first off the greatest guitar face of all time. No one, oh, no one okay. made, no one made stank faces like Stevie did. Okay. Uh, if you, that's, it's one of those. It's one of those things that even if I've I found that people that even aren't familiar with his music, like ah. n- un- they know the Stevie face. Oh wow! Are you googling them right uh, now? <laughs> there's a lot of different versions. Of the yeah. Stevie. I mean, there isn't there isn't one, but just like he was someone that like he was not a stoic player. He's not going to just stand there and concentrate. Like he put his whole body into playing, and it's because he felt it. He felt playing. Wow, it's the way to do it, and that's that's part of my argument. <laughs> 
the hand and the heart and the mind connected. Mm-hmm. And and that was the thing that people connected with so much was that he had such emotion in his playing. Mm-hmm. It was it was a pretty incredible thing. And also another thing that he was very famous for was his tone. Everyone everyone that listened to him said that he had the greatest tone that they'd ever heard in a blues guitar. That is so true. I would agree with that. It's and, very, very it's just it's just so slick and yet so full and, and it's just I don't know. I, I don't have the right adjectives to describe it. You had you had mentioned the the whole thing about the thirteen. I don't I don't know what that means. I just know that there are thirteen gauge or whatever. Very, very, very thick. Yes. Acoustic acoustic strings are about that thick. Yeah. Probably not even as thick. Man, he on a nightly basis completely annihilated his fingertips. Wow. And I, I I learned about his his uh, his repair technique, and it's it's mind blowing. He would he literally would have like holes in his fingers. Mm. And what he would do is he would put baking soda on them, and then put super glue on top of that, and then he put this kind of skin oil, something that's almost like the skin equivalent of paint remover. And he would stick the super glue onto his other hand, like the, the 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 super glued fingertips, stick it onto his other hand that had the skin oil on it, and he would peel it off to where the top very top layer of skin would come off of his palms, and it would create like a homemade callus. Oh my goodness. And his fingers would be ready for the night, but then they would say that by the end of the night, whatever he had just done was completely undone. Uh-huh. Because, I mean, just because he, because of how thick those strings were and how aggressively and passionately he played them, it was just, I mean, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I had seen someone say it was just like he he squeezed every single ounce of quality out of every guitar that he ever played. No guitar left his service without having given it every single thing it possibly had. Wow. Wow. It just, it's just it just sounds like a How do you I'm surprised he didn't die of some kind of infection with a repair technique like that. Yeah. That's one of the most, <laughs> that's one of the most brutal death metal things I've ever heard. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's not even metal. It's blues. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I mean, I don't know if you've ever watched a uh, metalocalypse, but there's a hilarious episode where like they, they go and learn about the blues and they realize that it's more hardcore than the heaviest of death metal. Yeah. That's that is a that is more true than you'd think. I need to watch that show again. It's incredible. Uh, anyway. So so yeah, his his dedication and I mean just the thing that I kept I kept hearing people say the exact same phrase over and over and over again. And that when he was on stage, 
he played his ass off. I mean, I don't normally use foul language just because I try and keep things fairly family friendly. So that's other people's quotes, not mine. But that's just all to say that every single time, didn't matter if there was one person in the audience or 10,000, he played like his life depended on it every single time. Man, I mean, his his hands depended on it. I mean, one wrong move, <laughs> and, and then there goes a finger. Anyway, yeah, that's that's so weird to talk about how he played with Billy Gibbons, and uh-huh. how Billy Gibbons plays such a light gauge, and he plays such a heavy like most of Stevie Ray Vaughan's strings are thicker than most of Billy Gibbons' strings. Mm-hmm. Than, like, all of them, really. So, <laughs> wow, yeah. And then when you just, when you listen and you hear the the insane amount of bends and the incredible clarity, and because he also had a very fa- high action on his strings. Oh, that makes oh what? Oh my goodness, he's just asking for finger issues doing that. But that was that was the secret to his tone and his sound. And it's the reason why other guitar players like professional great guitar players have said that they've tried to play guitar like he does with all of the settings and the strings and they're just like we don't have the hand muscle to physically do this. That yeah, duh. <laughs> oh my goodness. No. Yeah, no. <laughs> I think I think I'll stick with my my low action setup. I have enough problems with that. I am not Stevie Ray Vaughan. Wow. I didn't I never thought that a- that action would affect tone cuz I I always thought that was one of those myths. Maybe now I'm sure like I'm that. sure it wasn't it wasn't purely the action. Again, it's it's a combination of things. But that without the action, if you have all the other things, you still won't get that sound. Because he also modified us to have, like he he had custom made fretboards that were larger fretboards. Um, he had the strings. He had the higher action. Like it was all a grand plan to to get that sound that he wanted. And then also just there was there was magic in his fingers. Wow. Yeah. I mean the thing the one of the things that I heard always heard people say was that no one had the else had the accuracy of Stevie. Yeah, that is true. It's it's the it's the not only just the 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 speed and the technique, but also the 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 accuracy and the clarity. Where there was there was not a single note that was not that was kind of fuzzy sounding. Yeah, I and, and there's some there's some fast moments in in the songs that we're going to talk about. I would say just that, like that, that on the on the scale of. David Gilmore to Shredder. He is kind of in the middle. I mean, 
there's there's a couple parts in songs where it's just like oh yeah i'm gonna hold out this one vibrate it a little bit because it sounds cool and it does right but i mean he does play kind of fast too and every mm-hmm. single little bit of it it's all in the phrasing like that's that's his his thing usually there's something some kind of of technique or philosophy that every guitar player brings to the table and his thing is all phrasing it's not it's not speed it's not weird techniques it's not you know it's all in the phrasing and that's kind of like that is the heart and soul of blues is coming up with those good phrases and stringing them all together it's all about the licks yeah it's all about the licks it's all about the licks baby not about the mets it's all about the licks (laughs) all about the mets anyway yeah so all right so i think uh i think at this point oh we didn't even talk about his singing which oh my goodness well we can we can surely have time for that later in case in case it wasn't implied he is also the vocalist of double trouble yeah and let's also talk about kind of what double trouble even means so um originally the band that event that he started, so he was in several bands, and then like seventy five, he was like, "I'm going to start my own band because I want to be the one that's in charge, making the decisions. I want to be the one. I want to make sure that this is a blues band." Um, he created a band that was originally called Triple Threat, and it's because he had a fairly large band. He had himself a rhythm guitarist, a bass player, a a female singer that just sang, a keyboard player, and a drummer. So it was a large band. And the reason they were called Triple Threat is because they had three vocalists, himself, a female vocalist, and his bassist that also sang. And mm-hmm. of those three, Stevie sang the least because he wasn't confident yet as a vocalist. But they called themselves Triple Threat because they had three vocalists. Um, their bassist left... And they got a different bassist but didn't want to sing. So that's when they called themselves Double Trouble because they had two vocalists. Mm-hmm. And then one by one, members left until it was just Stevie, bassist, and drummer. And at that point, the drummer was Chris Layton. But Tommy mm-hmm. Shannon hadn't come into the picture yet. And so then the meaning of Double Trouble meant we have a – it's Stevie and then we have a rhythm section. And that's it. Oh. And so the rhythm section was double trouble. I thought Stevie was the double trouble. Like he's, no, he's got the. Anyway, <laughs> now he was he was upset originally by the fact that he on his records was billed as Stevie Ray Vaughan and Double Trouble because he hated the idea of the public considering them as sidemen, and he did not view it that way. Even though he was the face, the leader of the band, he pretty much cut everything equally three ways wow like he they were not hired guys they were his brothers almost as close as i was talk about a sweet deal playing bass for stevie ray vaughn making just as much money yeah i mean i obviously stevie probably got more with endorsements and and stuff like that but as far as like publishing and royalties like he split everything equally because he he did not see them as hired musicians that are there to execute his vision he saw them as family members he loved them with all of his heart 
so did and they that, loved him. Did that play into the songwriting? Were they songwriters? Not particularly, but they did. They were co-arrangers. And then, of course, you know, there were certain things that are covers, like Texas Flood is a cover. But there is a good amount on that first record that is uh, original Stevie compositions. Which I'm sure we'll talk about. Yeah, and I, th- and I think that now is the time to go ahead and move on to that segment. So we're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about Stevie Ray Vaughan and Double Trouble and their iconic first record, Texas Flood. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, everyone, to the Good Music Podcast. We just spent some time talking about Stevie Ray Vaughan and his rather unique rise to power, so to speak. Um, And now it's time to talk about the six songs that we have selected for this episode. So why are we going to talk about six songs? Well, for anyone who is new, we like to select six songs that will have a great um, flow from start to finish, a nice listening experience, and have a good introduction to the artist or the time period, or the specific aspect of that artist that we're talking about for that particular episode. If you want to listen to these songs, which we highly recommend that you do, that's kind of the point of this podcast, is to listen to music, down in the description of every single episode is a link to a Spotify playlist that has not only the songs of this episode, but all of the other episodes, past, present, which I guess is only this episode, and future So you'll definitely want to check that out. And if there's other songs in there that you're kind of interested in, you're like, man, I'd like to hear a little bit about that. Well, we have an episode about it. So you also want to check that out as well. And after all that plugging and all that boring stuff that all of the longtime listeners probably skipped through, it's now time to talk about the only place that you could really start, which is Pride and Joy. Well, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily the only place because it is not... It's not the song that starts the album. Well, it's the it's his um, most it, popular. I mean, one it now. it definitely has become uh, his his signature song. We're talking about Pride and Joy. Yes, yes. And I mean, from from an iconic standpoint, yeah. I mean, this is this is the easy one to just go. Okay, this is where we're gonna start. I mean, it's the first Stevie Ray Vaughan song I ever heard. Yeah, same. Well, so, um, but this is actually yeah. the second song on the album. Uh, "Love Struck Baby" is a pretty cool opener, and I and I considered having it on this episode, but I eventually uh, went a different direction. But just again, even even this, even though we're pulling all from one album, like pretty much, I would say every song except for one is really really good, and even the one that's not really really good is still good there's nothing wrong with it it's just you know everything else 
yeah. everything else on the album just stands so um, so proudly tall right. on its own. Like when right. I did the ranked playlist, like the majority of the top spot was just crowded with this record. <laughs> yeah, I he really imagine. he really made he really made something special and unique. That's good. Yeah. Well, can't forget about the other the other two guys. I was I was literally about to say, oh, and I. I got to mention Double Trouble as well. Yeah. He didn't. He couldn't have done it without them. Yeah, I really couldn't. And some so, some of these songs really do highlight this. But yeah, I mean, this this one in particular is all about the blues licks. It's pretty much standard blues as yeah, as I mean, it comes. And it's amazing that uh, this is not a blues standard that he actually wrote this song. Wow. So. Um, you know the the blues definitely has its fair share of covers, mm. and there are a couple of covers on this record. But I was one of the things I was I think I was most surprised to learn was that, um, just about how many original compositions are on this. Wow, so I guess we'll have to we'll have to mark them as we go. Yeah. So this is so this is a this is a Stevie Ray original, and. Yes. Is he one of those artists that uh, puts lyrics on top of a song and just there's no meaning to it, or is there a story? Um, well, I mean, there's not a story, but there there was a a there is a particular woman. Um, so he was married to a girl named Lenny, which is uh, the inspiration for uh, another song on this list, and. Um, definitely, she is the the pride and joy, the, affirm, the aforementioned pride and joy. Yes. And pretty much any time that he's writing, any love song that he has is going to be about her. Now, it was a very tumultuous relationship. Um, they were both um, mutually into drugs together. So that definitely caused things to be quite up and down at times, but... He really did love her, and um, you know she was in a way a source of inspiration for him. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it's so, good to hear about that from a from a yeah. musician after talking about all of the uh, failed marriages in other episodes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Well, that's good. I mean. And it's not like these lyrics are profound, but they're pretty good. I mean, like the opening line, for example, was like, you've heard about love that gives sight to the blind. Well, my baby caused the sun to shine. Well, it's like, you know, that's not cringe is what I'm saying. Like, yeah, that's pretty, I mean, that's pretty clever. Yeah, it's it's simultaneously classic yet fresh. Right, right, and so it's not. Um, it plays into the whole call back to that old blues thing, mm-hmm. where it feels like this could have been a blues standard, like we talked about. Yeah, and that's. I think that if you are a, uh, if you are a blues musician, that's that's kind of the thing I feel like you want to go for is that you want to you want to write the blues mm-hmm. and be loyal to it and, and play it the way that it's meant to be played, but also at the same time, 
you want to at least do something to it that is that is fresh. You wanna you wanna do something new while at the same time you know something that stands next yeah. to the other blues uh, classics. Yeah, like that that opening little riff there is very reminiscent of like Johnny Be Good or something. Yeah, Where, but and... it's distinctly like as soon as this came on, I'm like, oh. I know this song. I don't even listen to this song very often at all. But I immediately knew, oh, this is Pride and Joy. Mm-hmm. It's That's just how recognizable. Even though it's literally 12-bar blues, that's just how recognizable that riff is. And that's and that's also the thing that's so great about Stevie is that I, would, I think except for, well, I'm going to say half of these songs, but there's 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 kind of some caveats to that are not like your typical 12 bar blues Mm -hmm. progressions Mm -hmm. but um you know pride and joy is a song that is that is so simple it's it's literally just it's so it's the blues it's the 12 bar blues progression it's got the it's got the standard blues uh licks and riffs and it's got the shuffle and yet he plays it in a way that feels so unique and so fresh. And I think part of that is his personality bleeding through. I mean, that's the way the blues is. We talked yeah. about that whole hand heart, you know, um, brain connection. Mm-hmm. And so he just, he provides such a personality and emotion into every note that he plays that, that pushes everything through. Right. And in a weird way, I remember we talked about in in the Tool episode how, which that was a while back. Wow. Uh, yeah, that was one of your first ones. How um, I can't remember the drummer's name, but how he would start a Danny Carey. And then, yeah, and you were and you were thinking, oh man, he's not gonna like hit the beat right. He's not gonna land on the measure, and then he uh-huh. does. This is just this is like a masterclass in. Um, doing that (laughs) over and over and over (laughs) again where it's just like oh my gosh this is not like it's in time but how is this phrase gonna end at the right time and then it does and you're like whoa that was kind of cool like if you really if you're really listening to the timing of things it's just like and that's why it feels so fresh is because the rhythm is just a little a little syncopated here and there a little off here and there but it always lands exactly where it's supposed to land and so he has, well, and the, he has a good control of, of notes, but he also has such a good control of phrasing as well. Yeah, and I'm, and I mean, another one of the big responsibilities that he shoulders when he's playing is that he is also the rhythm guitarist. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's often undiscussed and underrated about him is the fact that he's really, in everything that he's doing, he's simultaneously playing lead and rhythm. He's... <sighs> Every even when he's playing lead lines, he still finds a way to keep the rhythm and the and the beat moving, and that's yeah. that's so impressive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and Phil Space, uh, and he he can't like if he does that uh, cliche hold out the note for as long as you can. It has to be at a good moment. Like he has to set it up right. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does he does um and it's also like that that switch between um 
I'm going to sing, and then I'm going to play a lick. That goes so fast throughout this song, where it's just like yeah. he's in the lead mindset, and then all of a sudden he's in the rhythm vocalist mindset, and then he's in the like such a fast switch that almost you could argue there's no line there at all. It's just of whatever the listener is is wanting to hear. Yeah. Or maybe what he's wanting the listener to hear. I should. Yeah, it's 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 incredible the way that he the way that he plays. It's it's one of those things to where it doesn't all it already doesn't sound easy when you're listening to it. But from what I've what I've learned, it's it's so much harder than you could possibly think to try and replicate it to try and not only play accurately but then also to catch all the emotion and the uh and all the all the color and personality that's also contained within it in his playing so pride and joy just right from the start just tells you everything you need to know that he has a lot of soul that he has a lot of power and emotion technicality he has speed whenever he wants to put in speed but he knows how to rein it back whenever it needs to be running and and he can write something that sounds so much like still stay so mm -hmm. fresh yeah right really well yeah, so, I mean, yeah, even though it's not the album starter, I feel like if you've never listened to Stevie before, that this is the best song to start with. For every reason. But, man, if you want to go from something iconic to something at least I've never heard before, I mean, that this second song right here. Testify. Yeah. It's, like, kind of funky. It's got a real good, like rhythm to it yeah it's very unorthodox it's yeah. it's it take took me a couple listens to really like get a grasp on first off because i my default was to try and listen to this in 12 bar blues and it's not 12 bar blues mm-hmm. it's just it's straight you know divisions of eight but because i my brain was already thinking oh this is stevie this is blues listen for 12 bar blues it kept surprising me every time it didn't do that. Oh, I guess it... Hmm. I haven't been because, trying to figure out the structure of the song. Yeah. I mean, for me, this is like... If you're... As far as blues goes, this is kind of blistering speed. You know? Although not, it, not as fast as we're going to get on this episode. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. Not, not close, but... Uh, that's like that's a hard funk rhythm and he's like playing all of the strings for that opening line yeah that whole e minor major sharp nine whatever it is i can't remember the hendrix chord (laughs) well the thing Uh, i was gonna say is that this is this is a very hendrix sounding song you can tell that that was his that that was more of his inspiration for a song like this rather than more classic blues and i didn't I mean, I know I know the existence of the Hendrix chord, obviously from whenever I uh, did our Hendrix episode. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to tell you what it is if I heard it. I would just be like, "Oh, that's that's a chord." It kind of sounds weird, I guess. <laughs> so the fact that you say it's a Hendrix chord is just like, okay, that that makes a lot of sense, actually. 
it uh, it's got kind of a distinct sound when you're a guitar player. You can kind of pick it out, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, this true. must be a a original. And original. yes, Where'd my yes, it is. English goes, yeah, okay. Yeah, I had, I had never heard this before, and so when it came on, I'm like, oh, maybe the rest of this episode is going to be a whole bunch of stuff that I don't know. I mean, obviously, it turned out not to be, but um, I don't know. It's just kind of, this is good, and I've never heard it. It's really impressive, too. Yeah, But he it's gets... all instrumental, so he can yes. kind of spend more time thinking guitar and less time thinking vocals. Mm-hmm. Now, I know people are going to think he must not really like Stevie as a vocalist because the majority of the songs on this set actually ha- are instrumentals rather than uh, rather than sung, and that was actually not something I intended to do. It was just it was just what happened. Um, I don't want to uh, discredit Stevie as a vocalist. I think he's an incredible vocalist, especially for what he's doing. It's it's the per- He's got the perfect blues voice. Yeah. But also, there's just something special that happens when the guitar just purely takes over. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really when, when he becomes the most lethal. Yeah. And again, yeah, yeah like you said, it's, it's got a bit of a funk to it, and there's just, there's, there's so much groove happening. Again, it's that fact that he's, um, that first off, he has an incredibly solid band behind him mm-hmm. that is giving him a solid foundation upon which to to solo over, but also the fact that again he is uh, able to in everything he's doing keep rhythm in his playing. Yeah, that it's it's not just disappearing whenever he uh, whenever it's time to play a lick or play a solo. There's a, there's a there's there's almost a visceralness to his soloing at times. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it, listen, listen to that backing band, like that drum beat. I don't, I'm not a drummer, but it sounds kind of complicated. Right? I mean, it's it's not that bad, um, especially once I once I kind of got my head up in my butt and realized the rhythm that was going on. I was just like, okay, this is this is pretty easy to follow. I I wouldn't be struggling if I had to cover this, but at the same time, this is also the kind of beat and kind of groove where I feel like it would be really easy to overplay and to start mm. and to start getting complicated. And um, one of the things that uh, his bandmates have said is that you know a lot of times the record executives would try and persuade. Stevie to get better musicians, people that could play more technical, people that uh, had more chops, and that um, Stevie never would. Because the thing that he loved about his backing band is that he knew they were talented, but he also knew that they were intentionally pulling back and serving in a strictly rhythmic fashion so that Stevie has the space to do what he needs to do. Musical responsibility. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you can you can feel this again. I feel like my trouble with this song would be like you get into this groove, and I'd be like, "Yeah, I'm gonna throw in this." Then, you know, on a song where the guitar solo is the 
most important thing that's going to take away from it. Yeah, and and if I was like comping the base on this, first of all, I probably can't because I'm feeling like that's being finger played, and my fingers yeah. are not that fast. But I would just like start going way off of <laughs> what what's supposed to happen. But no, it's just it's it's kind of like that uh, Malcolm Young approach of everything needs to sound exactly the same every time you repeat it otherwise it's gonna detract from angus young slash steve ray vaughn and what they're doing and, and what the audience really needs to be listening to mm-hmm. and that's almost i don't want to say that's harder but it's like, pretty hard it's it's very hard to just sit back and play the same thing over and over again while someone else gets all the limelight you know Mm-hmm. And and it's it's good to see like really talented musicians support someone who they know is is gonna kind of get all the credit, and yet they still decide that all three of them are gonna do this thing, you know, and put out yeah. some good music. I mean, ultimately, Stevie Ray Vaughan could not have done it without a backing band, right? But he is still Stevie Ray Vaughan, and this is the Stevie Ray Vaughan episode. So we get a nice, <laughs> a nice guitar solo. Yeah. But uh, our next song is going to contain what many consider to be the guitar solo. Yes. So Texas Flood, the title song. I recognized this as soon as it came on. I was like, okay, that lick, that do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do or whatever it is at the very beginning. I'm like I know. Yeah, I made two or three times, but when that first lick came on, I'm like, I know this. Like this is, and then he was like, it's flooding down in Texas. I'm like, I know this. This is Texas flood. I'm, I was so proud of myself that I knew like the Stevie <laughs> Ray Vaughan song without having to look at the at the uh, at the title. It had to have good been good for fun. you, Grant. It had to have been like five or six years too, because it was uh, back when I was taking lessons, and my guitar teacher was like, "Ooh, you should try to learn Texas Flood," and I guess I just wasn't interested or anything. But he had played it for me a couple times. I'm like, "Yeah, this is pretty good," and then I I go back to playing Van Halen and and Randy Rhodes and stuff. Um, now I understand, obviously I've, I've matured as a musician, so I appreciate this, um, less hair, well, see Ravon's got long hair, but less colorful, less parachute pants, less bungee jumping music, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So. Yeah, um, this, this song and, and specifically this guitar solo is considered, one of the all-time greats yeah it's it's you you look up just about any you know greatest guitar solos of all time list and it's likely you're going to see texas flood in a lot of top tens and it's usually ends up being the highest ranking blues solo in any of these uh lists so and i had and i had seen that before i had ever even heard texas flood Kind of just whenever I was really starting to be interested in music, I've I've talked about my top ten love. Um, just kind of looking and going, okay, what 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 are the greats? What do I need to know about? What do I need to be aware about? 
Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I kept seeing this song, Texas Flood. I was just like, I've never heard it before, but like it never compelled me enough to like go listen to it. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was just like, well, that's blues. I don't listen to blues. I listen to metal. And then uh, finally, it was when I got it for uh, when I got the song for Rock Band, and I played, and I was just like, also for me as a non-guitarist, playing these songs on Rock Band is really helpful for me to understand guitar technique. Because at least in this way, I understand. Now, there's going to be some people that are just like, oh, it's not like real guitar. Yeah, I know. I'm not saying that I know what a guitarist, uh, what it's like to be a guitarist, but it helps me to zero in on what the guitar is doing. And I feel like I can gain appreciation for that instrument specifically playing these songs on there. So really in a way playing them on rock band is a type of research for me. I like to play them on bass sometimes too, because that's usually the only way I'll hear the bass. That was the most sophisticated way I think anyone has ever explained that doing like your homework is the same as playing video games. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I take none of it back. <laughs> so, no, I mean, it, uh, it, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's helpful for me again, because of the fact that I'm not a, I'm not a guitar player and I don't, I don't have as much time as I would like to be able to learn all these songs on bass. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe if, uh, if I had a lot more free time on my hands, I would eventually start learning every song on bass, or at least the ones that are physically possible for me to do. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I don't think I'm going to be uh, learning much Meshuggah on bass anytime soon. Ooh, man. Well, that's why you learned to pick. Well, also, you need, like, a nine-string bass. Well. I don't got one of those. Uh, Octaver. <laughs> <laughs> nine strings. Uh, yeah, good point. Oh, man, that's that's reaching. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, but, yeah, I, I, the first time that I heard this song, I got to play it. And that really goes a long way in cementing kind of your first experience with a song i've i have found that a lot of the songs that have stuck with me the most and the ones that have piqued my interest the most are the ones that i've the first time i've ever heard it i'm also trying to play it Mm. it does kind of create a very unique connection to you and so playing texas flood after hearing its uh its reputation that had proceeded before it and um and all these things, I'm, I'm taking a really long time to say that uh, my first experience with Texas Flood was pretty awesome, and <laughs> and that I've, I've I was in love with it ever since. And that was kind of when I was just like, okay, I really need to I need to invest more in Stevie Ray Vaughan because this mm-hmm. is awesome. It's so weird how if you write a song about a flood, there's a good guitar solo. Yeah. Now this is one of the cover songs. Ooh, that's a good point. Yeah, no, I remember that. Did you, did you, did you mention that to me at one point? Maybe you mentioned it in the first segment. Can't remember. It's been a whole, like, been a whole hour. Wink, wink. (laughs) 
Uh, anyway, yeah, this is a. This was originally. Uh, this this was kind of like a, uh, uh, like a just a an old standard. Like it was it was it's been around since like the fifties. Wow. And um, he actually heard a lady named uh, Angela. I'm going to say this wrong. Angela Strelly playing it and he was and he loved it so much that he was just like you got to teach me the words to this just tell me the words and i wanted to start doing versions of it and she was like okay sure because he was still like an unknown except for you know in the in the the people that were in the know in the austin scene Mm -hmm. and so he started using it at shows and when he got really big um, people started giving her crap saying, why are you playing Texas Flood? That's Stevie's song. And she was just like, no, he got the song from me. <laughs> but but then she was just like, but I mean, also, I I can't. It's, it's this is Stevie's song. I mean, it wasn't hers anyway. She, it was just, uh, that was that was one of her iconic live songs. And then he started doing it and I was just like, well, okay, I guess don't, if I play this, people are just going to assume I'm ripping them off. That kind of sucks. Yeah, but but at I mean, the same gosh time, dang, he does do it pretty good. If you're gonna if you're gonna get a song stolen by anyone, Stevie Ray Vaughan's a pretty good one. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's like kind of like Otis Cash Redding with. Dirt. It's kind of like Otis Redding with respect. Like he he got that song effectively taken away by Aretha Franklin but he did not mind at all cuz he was just like he was just like that's her song now and i'm proud to give it to her because her version is way better than mine he was yeah. he was okay with admitting it yeah and, and he okay. just i don't i don't i don't see how you can be upset that he and again it wasn't her song in particular, so it wasn't like she wrote it. And but I just, I just thought that was funny that she was like, I people started giving, saying, "Hey, why are you playing Texas Flood?" And she was like, "I was playing before he was." Dang it! Got it too. <laughs> funny. Yeah. So oh, yeah, I know I mean, the the question on your lips is. So, Grant, as a guitar player, how do you feel about this solo? Yeah, and exactly. I don't, I don't, I don't know how to like those questions anymore because I feel like I'm trying to. I need to say something profound. Oh, you don't have it's, to say anything profound. It's a it's a blues guitar solo through and through. Right there are some repetition of licks, and every time that that bend up to the five is all over this solo, all over this song. There's, There's that one of... bend that he just, he bends it for ages. Yeah, yeah. You're oh just my. like, how, oh, he's still, he's still bending, he's still bending it. There's a lot of bends and a lot of vibrato and a lot of just torturing the strings in this solo. And it's... Torture is definitely <laughs> the correct word. It's, it's less the blazing speed although it is pretty fast at moments it's it's really fast but it's less about that speed and more about getting all of the emotion you can out of just a few notes yeah There's this is lot. this is not the point of this is not to be a shred solo mhm yeah is this is this is a this is a solo of emotion 
if yeah. Ron Burgundy were to listen to this, he would say that he was in a glass case of emotion. <laughs> it's it's a lot different from start with something cool and melodic and then you'll gradually get to something that's super super fast and then you'll end with this screeching note and then the chorus will come back in and it'll be like ah you know it's not it's not at all like that so so it's not a metal solo as a metal musician like me if you're gonna sit down and listen to this thinking oh man this is gonna be like better stairway to heaven or something right you're you're comparing apples and oranges. Yes. And at the end of the day, both your favorite solo and this solo are fantastic. And honestly, I probably couldn't play either of them. So me personally, I'm impressed. And it's just, it's a whole other beast to torture 13s like this. That's In your own fingers. Hands. Yeah, wow, yeah. The fingertips coming off. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's my maybe not too profound comment. <laughs> so 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 it sounds like it sounds like we're you're this will this will be like a launch point for your uh journey into blues guitar. Maybe. It might just be. It might just be. And in a different way than I have before. And less of the improvisation and more into the standards and the and the lore, maybe. But we'll see. We'll see. Hopefully, right. it uh, hopefully it puts me in a good mood and not uh, rude mood. Like oh, <laughs> that was good. It w- it was a real stretch, but um, anyway, I was about to Let's... say, oh, this is off of Texas Blood. Well, all of them are off of Texas Blood. So, yeah. rude moves. Uh, let's just let's just say this right out of the way. This is a absolute monster of a song. Yeah. Instrumental once again. Yes. Uh this is honestly one of my all-time favorite guitar performances. Wow. This is this is something that every time I listen to it, I just listen in shock. Yeah. And again, this is this is coming from a non-guitar player, but I am assuming that this is incre- this would be something incredibly difficult to play. Yes. It's not it's... even just in the sense of of the of the notes, but just the all of the cl- it's so precise, it's so clear. There's so many bends and little nuances. And yet, it, and it grooves so much. It does. Crap, man. It's it's like swung eighth notes at a really high BPM. Like yeah, because it's, it's kind of a shuffle. And it like doesn't. It's, it's like straight eighth notes, like the whole song. It's not like he takes a break. No, at the end of every phrase. It does not stop. It just it just keeps going. The endurance to play something like this is just is has to be insane. I would go. I would go insane because think about it. You also have to memorize all these notes. And he did because this was one of the first songs that he wrote with Double Trouble. I think he wrote it back in like '75. Wow. And uh, Chris Layton, their drummer, said that whenever, like, even back in that time when they were rehearsing this, 
and and perfecting it that like in 76 this was note for note hit for hit beat for beat the same as what appeared on the recording wow that it was it was that high level of a composition that he he knew it Every, all three of them knew this song inside and out that's intense yeah gosh sometimes it's hard for me to write like one melody and here we are having 10 billion at like such a high speed the patience to write something like this is really what's mind-boggling mm-hmm. that that for four and a half minutes of this stuff you would sit down and and slave over something that's so maybe so short in the grand scheme of this record right now most of the time when we say a song feels longer than its runtime is a bad thing but i feel like this goes on longer than four minutes but not in a bad way because of the fact that it feels so endurance taxing and because of the fact that they're because of how fast it is they're going through each 12 bar progression at lightning speed and so it's just every every like 10 seconds they're on to another cycle and just the whole time you're you're thinking i'm just like how long can he keep this up and you're looking at it's just like oh my gosh it's only been three minutes but you feel like so much has happened because it's just it's moving so fast yeah yeah for real i mean this is this is just again this i think that this is one of the most impressive like i this impresses me more than most metal solos that are technically faster quote-unquote just because again this it's not just pure shredding there's so much else going on here yeah and i get exhausted just listening to this thinking yeah i'm if i were playing this oh my goodness I've looked up some covers on YouTube and most people can just get kind of close with replicating this. And then I found a, uh, I found an interview with Stevie and he's just, it's one of those ones where he's like sitting with a guitar and an amp and someone asked him how rude moves. It's just like, well, here, let me show how I played. And he just like hooks in and just goes into it. And it's note for note. Perfect. Wow. I was just like, you, you freaking maniac. <laughs> Yeah. How dare you make the rest of us look mortal? Yeah, really. That's just, that's the way that the greats do it, is they make it look easy. Mm-hmm. Here, let me show you how it's done. Plays the whole thing, note for note. Wow. And he's, and he just, and he just finishes, and he's just like, you know, cool, next question. <laughs> what, what, else, what else you got? Yeah. Here, want me to play a, uh, this solo man um so this so this is also on rock band and this song is one of my banes to play i consider myself to be a pretty good i think i mentioned that in the first segment Mm -hmm. but this is this is one of the few songs in the whole game that i cannot get five stars on it's as soon as soon as it starts like my fingers are struggling desperately to keep up it's that stamina you're gonna have to you're gonna have to come over and play rock band with me sometime i win 
I would completely screw over the band. We would get no if any, after. If anything, if anything's just so you can see how many great songs I've got downloaded. That's true, yeah. Because you keep talking about, oh, I heard this song on Rock Band. Like, how would you hear this on Rock Band? This is like not even a rock song. But anyway. That's, so, that's, yeah. that's the origin of a lot of these a lot of these episodes I feel like is rock band. <laughs> well, I mean it's 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 such an incredible uh, learning space. There's there's so many things that I would not have ever heard had it not been for that game. I even though it's not a quote unquote cool game anymore, I will I will never stop uh talking about how much it has meant to me and uh and how much fun I still have playing it. I played it today and and had and had fun. <laughs> there you go. There's the, the proof is in the pudding. Lucas played rock band today, guys. So it's Yeah, that's game. that's your that's the useless fact that you didn't need today. <laughs> oh man. Another useless fact. I used to think that Steve Ravon wrote this next song. <laughs> And I talked about that in our Hendrix episode. This is Steve. And of course, me not knowing like any of the chronology of anything at that point. Obviously not. As as one (laughs) of our reviewers loved to point out about like, he's a musician. He thought that Jimi Hendrix invented guitar solos. Okay, so... I still go back and read that review and just laugh because it's so I, funny. I never claimed to be historian. That's why we're here. That's why I'm. I, we're all there's no such thing as an expert, just varying right. degrees of ignorance, as as we're my dad learning. likes to say. So, but anyway, right? We have like an eight minute version of this song, followed by no. Oh, I mean, yeah, third just, stone just... from the sun. So twelve and a half minutes of of instrumental live stuff. This was a live. Yes, yes, it was. So this is this is where I kind of break the rules a little bit because this was not on the original release of uh, Texas Flood. This is from purely from the Legacy editions. That's just a really fancy way of saying it's the deluxe version. Um, but I figured I'd throw a curveball. I don't always like to be super predictable or super like, oh, you know, I've got to do this because of this and that. I'm just like, shoot, I can do whatever I want. <laughs> and when I saw that this was on the ex- uh, the expanded version of the album, I was just like, okay, I, I got to do it. I got to throw this in there because this song and his solo with it is – is legendary in of itself. I mean, there's a reason why you thought that this was a Stevie Ray Vaughan song without even really knowing who Stevie Ray Vaughan was. Yeah. Exactly. I, when we tried to to put this together in one of the bands that I was in, we would always listen to this version. And a lot of the licks that were in here, I kept trying to replicate them. Like I would hear one and I'm like, ooh, I got to learn how to do that. Like, I think there's one that's really early on where he does this bend and then he just plays like a bajillion notes in this chord. I'm like, I got to learn how to do that. I still cannot do that. That that slide at the beginning, right before the turnaround, 
oh man that is just that is like the bread and butter of rhythm lead mashup stuff yeah (laughs) there's just so much so many so many good licks here and it's for eight minutes and it doesn't get old and it's in front of an audience and he doesn't miss a beat no and that's the thing that's the thing that everybody would say about him when they would go to watch him. They were just like, not only did he play incredibly, but he didn't. We don't think that he missed a single note. And this is, and this is while he is playing behind his back. Like he he took all of Jimi Hendrix stage moves. There was even one show where he did the whole light your guitar on fire thing. Wow! Like he he didn't just like Jimi Hendrix like. It was he was truly one of his like biggest fans. The a lot of the way he looked was based off of Jimi Hendrix. Um, the 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 way he he started playing down tuned a half step so that way he could play a Hendrix song whenever he wanted to live. Um, like a lot of his creative decisions were based on well Hendrix does it this way so I'm going to do it this way too. That's kind of die hard. Yeah. He That's was really he was he was a true fan and a true believer. Wow. And so he just you, like until until his first album came out like half of his set every time he played would be Jimi Hendrix songs. He could he could play every song note for note. Wow. Someone someone once uh witnessed him turning on uh, Electric Ladyland. And him not playing the songs, but improvising on top of them to where it was like he was duetting with him. Ooh. And and the guy watching was just like, that's when I realized that I was truly experiencing something otherworldly. That this was a this this was a alien talent that few people would ever have. That you could duet effortlessly with one of the greatest of all time just from his vinyl recording yeah that is kind of crazy yeah so uh so yeah he he is one of the few people that can cover hendrix in such a blatant way and get away with it because he isn't just purely copying he's taking what is essentially there at its core and then putting it through the stevie filter to where it still sounds like him, and it's not something like this is really weirdly out of genre for him. Mm-hmm. And and just and nailing it. And and again, I oh, there's a lot of people. Little Wing is one of Jimmy's most beloved songs, and yet there are a lot of people will say that Stevie did it better. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I I have trouble choosing. I like. I just like both of the versions for completely different reasons. I but the thing here I think that is I don't want to say most important, but something to take away is the absolute like unity between all three members. Yes. The dynamics. Like they are all together the whole time. Suddenly Stevie decides, hey, let's break it down real quick. Let's go to something super quiet. All three of them are instantly in sync and it happens, right? Mm-hmm. When they want to get loud, it 
happens when they want to speed up and then suddenly drop the tempo just randomly it happens and they all stay in sync it wow that's just pure that's pure band chemistry and again yeah it's because of things like that that stevie knew that he would never get other musicians to replace yeah. them because it's just like yeah other people might have talent but you can never replicate the natural raw chemistry that a band has with each other when you've got the right people playing the right songs. Yeah. That's it just it can't it can't be beat. Yeah. No, I know I know exactly what you're talking about. As someone who has played with many musicians for little tidbits of time, you can tell when there's a good creative connection and when there isn't yeah so i i this past weekend i played group um the drummer and our cover was putting together his mom is uh opening up a new food truck and so she wanted him to put together a band to like entertain the guests and stuff and so um me and him and and one other guy got together and we just decided hey we're not gonna be able to fill four hours of songs that we learn let's just come to come up with some songs we all know and then improvise for the rest of the three hours or whatever and man i mean it was, move. it was natural though it was really natural because I knew, and the reason I, I put that idea forward is because I knew that we all understood each other because we just started improvising one. We're all improvisation. Each other are going. And but like we had this mind reading ability and so that feeling of just like, yeah, these are the guys that you can make some really, really good music with. Mm-hmm. Once so. you find that, don't let go of it. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. Cause it's, you'll, you'll find that it's very hard to, you'll find it's hard to find. Right. And it's probably worded that better. It's so fun to do too. Cause you never know what's going to happen, but it's always good. Mm-hmm. It's like a TU football game. Well, okay. It's not always good, but you do never know what's going to happen at a TU football game. <laughs> if you've ever, if you've ever watched um, TU football, they are really not the greatest. We actually went bowling this year, which is uh, but we're not known for being a good football team, but every game is a is just a a fight. Usually if we lose, we're probably down by a few points. And if we win, we're probably up by a few points. It doesn't matter who we're going against. We went against Ohio State this year, and we just lost by a few points, or we were losing by a few points the fourth quarter, if I remember correctly. But it's kind of that going to happen. But it's very exciting is the way that that is want to give up these guys and these guys definitely want to stay with him because a he's great and b it's always just a new experience every single night yeah i mean you've got you got stevie as your as your main guy i can't imagine being like yeah you know what i want more time to to do my drum solo 
I yeah. wish I had more space in the song to be able to do this really sick bass groove. Yeah. Like, at that point, it's just like, you're an idiot. <laughs> You've got one of the greatest <laughs> guitars alive, and you're not going to do everything you can. He's the obvious star. So right. it was, it's really cool to see in this scenario that it was there was no ego. There wasn't even ego from Stevie. I mean, wow. he... He completely, and that's why he would always stick up for his band, is because he was just like, I understand the value of this. He made sure that they all got paid fairly. He did not ever treat them legally or personally as sidemen. He, like I said earlier, he hated the fact that it was billed as Stevie Ray Vaughan and Double Trouble, Mm because that always made it sound like, they were lesser than him. Mm. And he hated that idea. He saw them he saw them as people just like, I cannot do what I do without them. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna just go off solo and go, well, I'll just find some other guys. You know, blues uh blues players are a dime a dozen. You know, he never thought that way. Yeah, I mean at the end of this performance he like introduces them and they're like hey here's my guys we're known as double trouble yeah he said we're double trouble not there i'm he's like i'm he's not saying i'm stevie ray vaughn and they're double trouble yeah which so pretty nice of him. yeah yeah you gotta love stevie yeah uh, also we didn't even really talk about third stone from the sun because that's actually uh, Loki, one of my favorite parts. Because I've Third Stone from the Sun has always been one of my favorite Hendrix songs. It's it's delightfully weird. It's a it's pretty much like an ambient six minute long drug fueled instrumental. But you know because it's being played by someone that truly understands that style, it sounds yeah. great. Mm-hmm. And I've always loved that um, that melody of the ba dum ba da 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 ba da 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 da. Yeah. And so I'm even though I was thoroughly enjoying Little Wing, I the the first time I was listening, I was just like really curious to see what they do with Third Stone from the Sun, like how much of it's going to be in there and and what they're how they're going to reimagine it. Mm-hmm. And. Um, the fact that they pretty much just because they upped the tempo from the original considerably, and I I think that it's it's a really cool uh, juxtaposition to the slow jam, more traditional sound of Little Wing, to go into something that's almost jazz. And one of the things yeah. that one of the things that was surprising and cool to learn about Stevie is that he was actually a pretty competent jazz guitarist as well, and. And there's a couple times in his discography where that peeks through, mm-hmm. and you get to you get to hear the jazzier side of Stevie. Yeah, I kind of I kind of picked up on some of the some of the in this song, especially when it's like when it's broken down and kind of like plays some not jazzy. Like I wonder. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> People and people love to use say something's jazzy just when something they didn't hit the right note. 
Yeah. Well, but that's 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 not what we mean in this situation. <laughs> I mean, when we say that was of. oh that was jazzy. It kind kind of meaning that, but not in a bad like like in a jazz sense, not hitting notes that are in the scale. Yeah. Not like avant-garde not hitting notes in the scale. Because <laughs> again, we, we want to clarify that Stevie pretty much never hit wrong notes. Yes. Yes. Well, he never hit wrong notes. We're just hearing the wrong notes. We just have to expand our understanding of music to understand them as the correct notes. That's so deep, man. Ooh, yeah. Oh. Meaning right. of life has been discovered. Wow. I didn't I even said I wouldn't say anything profound. Here we are. No, oh. you would. You would think after after such a long, almost adventure like performance like that, that that would be like our grand finale. Yeah. But we still have one more song, and I think that this is one of the most underrated and understated songs on Texas Flood. It's the album closer. Ooh. It's Lenny. Lenny. Which, you know, spoilers, as mentioned earlier, Lenny was his wife. Yep. And um, this is just such a beautiful song. It's significantly slower. It's like an epilogue. Yeah, and that's, and that's kind of the way that I, that I viewed it and the way that I wanted to use it uh, in the set was kind of almost like a, like it's a, like it's, it's a, who lets everyone catch our breath after uh it's it's a nice wind down from the insanity that is uh was the previous really between rude mood and this 12 minute musical tour de force with the Jimi hendrix covers yeah to end on something that's just so nice and sweet and just hits you really in the right place Mm mm-hmm Oh yeah, it gets you. It gets you like rocking back and forth, like the and the yet whenever lemon face. Yeah, whenever I play this though on rock band, I I have to stink the entire time I'm playing <laughs> because because the licks are so tasty on this song that you just can't help but do those classic Stevie faces of just snarling the lip. And and just acting like you're playing the greatest thing of all time. Mm-hmm. No, it's I, compulsory. I, you have to do it. <laughs> yeah, and and the lower volume of this song allows him to really play with the dynamics and get get more of the stink <laughs> to shine. Deliver through. the stink. Deliver the stink in an audio fashion. Mm-hmm. Main melody with so light. Oh man, it reels you in in weird, like hypnotic way. But it's a good hypnosis. Hypnotized. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's so peaceful. Yeah, and again, he's he's doing some pretty advanced licks, but it it's. It doesn't even the parts he's kind of shredding a little bit. It doesn't feel like uh, like it's getting too much energy. It's still somehow, and again, it's incredible reserve by Double Trouble of just I mean, just literally 
pulling it back as far as it can go. This would be so easy for me to just ramp up the volume if I were one of them. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh yeah, let's more intense towards the end here, but never. The only rise and fall of intensity comes from Stevie himself. Mm-hmm. And because of that, it even when he starts to ramp up, the fact that it stays where it is, it almost creates kind of tension, but it always kind of just like sits back and just goes, okay, we're still here. We're still in this mood. Eh, not a rude mood. No, this is not a rude mood at all. Not so it's very far. From and again, rude. I think that this is, this is a, a bit more of a unique type of catharsis. Just because of the fact that it's it's not like this big moment. It's the fact that we kind of up till this point, it's been push, 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 push. And then to have something so serene and so calm to end things off, it just it it provides the perfect little um, little cap to everything. Mm hmm. Oh, those 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 little licks at the very end when all the other instruments have already finished. And he's just he's just he's just tidying up house. That's a good way of putting it, yeah. Um, you know, kind of ending things that he, he knows that this is the end, so he's just gonna he's just gonna play he's gonna play it out. Like the end where it kinda like Right after the final, the final battle where you've defeated whatever crazy comic book villain or whatever Hugo weaving character, <laughs> and you're at a bar and it's like one thirty a.m. and you're just like watching sports or something. <laughs> I don't know how to describe <laughs> it, but it's just it's very like it's complete. Yes, in a, in a very different way than than some of our other episodes that have that big like choir filled like huge guitar solo or whatever ending. You know, the supper's ready type ending. Right, the supper's ready, which that's great. Right, I there's mean, always a, there's a time for that, but then I do like it when it works out to where we can we can end with something like this. That's just. Uh... The sun is beautiful, the moon is beautiful, and they look nothing alike. Well said. I didn't mean that as I'm being I'm being serious. I know. I just <laughs> anyway. That that's the best way I could say I could say that. Anyway. I think that's I think well, we should just end right there. Yeah, that's our set. Um we are going to take another break. When we come back, we are going to give our final thoughts about Mr. Stevie Ray Vaughan. So stay tuned. We will be right back.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone, to the Good Music Podcast. We just got finished talking about Stevie Ray Vaughan, and in particular, his iconic debut record, Texas Flood. And the six songs that we have picked from that record to represent him, just as a reminder, those songs were Pride and Joy, Testify, Texas Flood, Rude Mood, Little Wing slash Third Stone from the Sun, and Lenny. The way that you can go listen to these songs is if you click on the link in the description, it'll take you to a Spotify playlist where you can listen to not only the songs on this episode, but all the ones from our previous episode as well. It would be a real shame if you got to this point in the episode and you don't listen to the songs, even if you've heard them before. I guarantee that if you uh, listen to the songs in this order, that you will get something new out of it. So uh, make sure you go check those out. Now it's time for our final thoughts. So, Grant, remind us where you started off with with Stevie Ray Vaughan and where you sit now. I could not tell you where I was. I think I was at a six. (laughs) I think I'm still at a six. I don't think I'm going to become like a Stevie Ray Vaughan fan. I'm definitely a Stevie Ray Vaughan appreciator. I've solidified that position. Um, I can already tell you, I kind of want to listen to all of Texas Blood, but I also, I really want to listen. I never listened to that album. Oh, how how his blues playing factors in, you know, in what way does it, and what way is is does it not? I don't know. I have no idea what that experience is going to be like, and so I think that you're going to hear you're going to hear an incredible amount of diversity in his playing. Okay, that. You're That's not gonna good. just hear. You're not gonna just hear blues playing. Although you're gonna hear some great blues playing. Okay. That'll, There's that'll more be, to it than that. That'll be interesting. I've uh, one of my fellow musicians has been telling me to listen to Let's Dance for quite a while now. So I think this finally convinced me. Um, but yeah, yeah now I you got a real good reason. Uh, now I do have a, a really good reason that that was like his first big big deal, uh, big. And so is Texas Flood. And I think kind of both of those cool. I'll get some listening experiences from that. So that's going to, that's going to be my further listening. I'm really excited for that. Um, And like I said, I don't know if I can move all the way to a seven. I gotta, I gotta find more songs that I'm just like super jazzed about that i'm like oh man this is great i did love all these songs though i mean rude mood was just impressive texas blood and pride and joy and and little wings seeing those again was great and like actually listening through all of little wing on my own multiple times and being like oh i remember that lick oh that was such a good my goodness that was that was a fun experience and it was good to uh to dip into blues for real and 
and not blues like stuff, but actually get into the blues. Um, that's kind of a, that's a first for me instead of, instead of playing blues like, but actually, um, actually listening to the blues. So not, not the coolest final thought of all time. I'm not going to change anybody's like worldview with my final thought this time, but there's my final thought nonetheless. I mean, you don't have to choose. You don't have to change someone's <laughs> worldview every time. That's that's such a burden to put on yourself. Uh, I try to have. How could you ever live meaningful. up to it? I try to have something that's meaningful every time, but yeah. Um. Oh, what was your favorite song? Oh, what was my, that's a great question. One that I don't even know if I could fully answer. If I reaction, Little Wing. Just because, oh, okay. because of the the uh, good moments. It was all about the licks. Little Wing had the best of them. It had a lot of them. Eight minutes plus third stone from the sun. Twelve and a half minutes of just yes. <laughs> of just a lot of good stuff. And it was just so fun to always put that on. Um, so I'm gonna have to say that uh, Little Wing, Little Wing's got to win. Okay. Well, then I'm glad that I kind of broke the rules a little bit and put it on on the set. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay. So I am also someone that the blues was kind of an unknown thing to me. I didn't really listen to it much going into this. Like I said, Stevie Ray was my. Um, strongest connection to the blues but that was still a fairly tenuous connection at best so this this really gave me an opportunity to finally like for real officially get into the blues and i really loved what i heard as well as i feel like i started to learn more and understand the world of blues throughout researching all the history and learning a lot of names that i'm realizing i I really got to go and start educating myself on. This is definitely not going to be the, uh, the last blues episode. Mm -hmm. So we're going to, we're going to make sure that we start tapping into that. Well, more often it was just, I just didn't know, really know how to start until now. So I'm actually going to be putting up a poll on Instagram because I already know when I want to do my next blues episode, but I want it to be something that you guys pick. So um, be on the lookout for a poll on Instagram. I'm going to throw out a couple of big iconic names and have you guys pick for me, which one we're going to do. So who said that I never got you guys involved? (laughs) I I don't, I don't think anyone did. I just felt like I'd say that. (laughs) Um, so I would I think I'm comfortable saying that I've moved to a seven. I have heard a good portion of his discography and there is a lot more to appreciate and dive into past Texas Flood. So um and again, just I think the fact that I have because of Stevie, I have a new genre now to really explore and dive into that I was hesitant to get into before I think is a pretty big indicator that my ranking has changed mm. because now now I really want to go backwards and start and start 
discovering the greats, the the legends of the blues, and see kind of where Stevie came from, what his influences were. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and then my favorite song for me, I just think Rude Mood is the one that consistently blows me away. And it's it's become one of my go-tos of just like, hey, you want to hear something incredible? Listen to Rude Mood. And I'll just put it on. And everyone I show it to is just like, whoa, what the heck is happening here? This is awesome. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, – I, I think because of that, the fact that it's the one that I'm always the most excited to show off and go, hey, guys, check it. You got to listen to this. Listen to the song. I think that that's pretty telling that that's mm-hmm. my uh, that that's my favorite. Yeah, I would agree. Um, my son Harrison really liked Stevie Ray Vaughan. Uh, Testify was his favorite, which was kind of a surprise because he normally doesn't like instrumentals. He usually mm-hmm. gets really bored and is just like, "Just play something that's got words, Dad." Hmm. And but for some for some reason, he really liked Testify. In fact, he liked all the instrumentals. He liked wow. he liked he liked Testify, Rude Mood, and Lenny. Well, he didn't he didn't really have the patience for Little Wing. Man. I mean, he's four, so yeah, I don't uh, fault him for not wanting to listen to the entirety of a twelve-minute song. Yeah, okay, with no, with no words. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. So, and then. Uh, Callie listened to these songs once. She danced to them, which was uh, which was fun. And then she said that Pride and Joy was her favorite. Understandable. Yeah. And that's our episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Our last official episode of the year, by the way, because next week we are going to be doing our special end of year episode. We did one of these last year. And it was really fun. Pretty much we are going to be looking backwards on the podcast, kind of talking about our favorite episodes, our favorite artists we've discovered, um, what our kind of view of music has changed since then. And we're also going to talk about some cool songs that came out in the year 2021, kind of a, a bit of music history, but the history of this year. Man, wait. And- and also, Ethan's going to be back next episode. Woo! I'm really excited about that. Yeah. The main the main reason he's back is is so that way he can do our end of year tournament with us, the Bad Music Podcast tournament. Uh, that's going to be for Patreon only, but you guys are really going to be missing out if you yep. don't go check that out. It's it's going to be a blast, and Ethan's going to be there for that as well. Yep. So. Um, the way that you can find our Patreon is it's one of the two links in the episode description. The other one I already told you about that goes to Spotify. This one will take you to our Patreon page where you can get access to the Bad Music Podcast and the tournament that we're going to be taping next week, as well as uh, getting episodes uh, the Friday before they're released, which normally our episodes come out every Monday at midnight except for when I forget and I post it a little bit late. So (laughs) that's on me sometimes, but you know, I do my best. 
And um, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Like I said, I'm going to be putting up a poll here. Probably, I, I might drop it the same day the episode comes out. So that way I don't spoil for anyone before then that we're going to be talking about the blues. And go, wait, you're doing a poll. Which artist do? You didn't mention Stevie Ray Vaughan. Well, it's because we were doing it. <laughs> so, um, but that's also the best way to get in contact with us, to let us know what you think of the podcast, and to let us know what episode you would like for us to do in the future. You can also suggest uh, volume twos for us. If there was an episode that you were like, I love this artist, I want you to do them again, you can request those as well. And uh, if we don't see you guys next week, then have a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. Keep on listening to good music. <laughs>